Welcome to Lompoc Foursquare Church's podcast. Enjoy the message. I want to talk to you about change. Yeah. And the words of the great theologian Sheryl Crow from about 12 years ago, a change will do you good. But sometimes we just don't like it. Mark Twain said the only one that likes change is a wet baby. It's not often that we like change or want change. Change can be a good thing, but it's always a hard thing. And think of the changes that we've made in four months. As a church, we've gone online for four months. Can I say it again? Four months. We've changed uh, houses, some of you, locations, our military, PCSing to a new duty station. Change. The change of school, the change of job, the change of career. The change in some who've retired of recent years. We, we go through difficulties of change, of losing a loved one or the difficulty of a, of a, of a divorce. Uh, we have babies. We're fired. Uh, we change you know, careers. Uh, sometimes those babies grow up and then we change because it's an empty nest. And all those little kids that we love so much and the noise they made, we have a silent house now. It's quiet. Change after change. You know, psychologists years ago quantified the changes in our lives by referring to them as LCUs or life change units. I'd never heard of this before. So I I Googled it and I found uh, these charts that actually have life change units. So if you change the school, so many numbers for that. If you lost a loved one, there's so many numbers for that. Uh, if you had a divorce, so many numbers for that. If you, you, you changed you know, geography uh, from state to state, so many numbers for that. And what they deduced was that when you have too many LCUs, it's called overload. <laughs> Anyone understand overload? I mean, some of us are living in it right now. And it can lead to all kinds of physical problems, emotional problems, relational problems. It's almost like um, oversensitive skin when somebody touches you. It's, ow, you know, or if you had a burn on your hand from a stove or a campfire or whatever, if anything touches it, it's, it's oversensitive. And a lot of psychologists are saying today we're oversensitive right now. It's like we're, we have a heightened sensation of things. And usually it's words, it's uh, actions or reactions from people that come against us and And what we need to do is be people who come to God with our wounds. Last week, we talked about that as Moses had wounds (coughs) in his heart. And he needed to come to God. And rather than speaking to the rock, because God said, speak to the rock, Moses, and water will come forth. He takes his staff, his very familiar uh, item that he had in his life, his staff. God had turned into a snake and back into a rod. and, And he strikes the rock. And it's almost like he strikes it out of anger. Because after all, he was fed up to hear with the people. And I I hear the video in in my mind. I I see it and I hear it where Moses says, look, you guys want water? Here's your stinking water. And he hits the rock out of anger because inside his soul, there was this heightened frustration in his life trying to lead the children of Israel. No, uh, we we, we looked up change. Our, Our team was looking up change online and they knew I'd be talking about change. And we found a couple of videos. Uh, one's from 1994. It's the Today Show. And they're talking about a change that's coming. And it's called the Internet 
and they didn't understand what it was or even how to do email. And the next one just simply says, we need change. So take a look at these videos. I wasn't prepared to translate that as opposed to that little tease. Oh, that's that right. little mark with the A and then the ring around it. At? See, that's what I said. Mm -hmm. um, Katie said she thought it was about. Yeah. Oh. But I'd never heard it. I'd never heard it said. I'd always seen around. the mark, but never yeah. heard it said. And then yeah. it sounded stupid when I said it. Violence at NBC. <coughs> yeah, well, I heard around big fight up in the lunchroom the other week. There it is. Violence at NBC. GE com. I mean, well, what is, Allison should know. What, what do you is say internet about anyway? Internet is uh, that massive computer right. network, mm -hmm. the one that's becoming really big now. What do you mean? That's big. How does one? What do you write to it like mail? No, a lot of people use it and communicate. I guess they can communicate with NBC writers and producers. Allison, can you explain what internet is? No, she can't say anything in ten seconds or less. Oh, <laughs> oh. Allison will be in the studio shortly. What, is what does it, it mean? Oh, I thought you were going to tell us what this was. It's so like a look computer in the billboard. It's, it's not a it's, it's, it's computer billboard, but it's nationwide. Right. And it's, it's several uh, universities in the world. Right. And others can access it. And, right. And it's getting bigger and bigger all the time. It came great. in really handy during the quake. A lot of people, that's how they were communicating out to tell family and loved ones they were okay because all the phone lines were down. I was telling Katie and I was But you don't, need, you, don't need that, you don't need a phone line to operate in No, internet? no. Okay, I know it's silly. Well, the, the first one, they can't figure out the internet because it hasn't happened yet. They're, they're having to trust technology for the unknown. And the next one says, hey, we, we need change. And people, of course, are looking for literal change in their pockets, wallets, and, and purses. But change is coming. We, we know it. And not many of us really like change at all. I was thinking about the story of Moses. We're looking at that as we Look about trusting God and, and uh, dealing with the unknown. But, but it happened that God uses Moses to deliver the children of Israel. You want to talk about change? They're in Egyptian captivity. Life is horrible. They are now complaining and rebelling and resisting change all the time. And they even start saying this, we want to go back to what was. We want to go back to Egypt. Numbers chapter 14 verse 4 says, and, and they said to each other, we should choose a leader. We don't like the direction we're going. We want to go back to Egypt. Leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would even be better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. You see how negative they've become? This is a God who, who picked Moses for them to lead them, and they say, we don't like him. And then here's, here's, here's the direction that God is taking them. We don't want to go this way. We don't like what God is providing for us. So Moses has a heightened sense of frustration. It's like that, that sensitive skin I was talking about earlier. That, that's why I'm convinced that the greatest leadership challenge that Moses faced was not convincing Pharaoh to let God's people go, but it was leading the Israelites through the season of change. Here's a, here's a great, great question. Why do we dislike change? Why do we dislike it? I remember a lady coming to church here years ago. She says, oh, I, I, I like the church, but don't let it get too big. <laughs> if it gets too big, I won't like it. Mm. I remember someone else saying to me, wow, 
a new sanctuary. That's great. And then we knocked the wall out and added space. I don't like that you're adding space. I said, no, you like change. You just don't know you like change. No, I don't like change. I said, yes, you like change. Because our old sanctuary didn't even hold enough people. We would have had no room for you to come to be a part of our faith community if we didn't tear down the old one and build the new. You know what? It's easy to get stuck, isn't it? Now, I know you've all had to make radical changes in the last four months. But but here's what we tend to do. And you can write this down if you're a note taker. Change is difficult when we exaggerate the things of the past. We, we, We tend to glamorize what was. The Israelites are glamorizing Egyptian captivity. Are you kidding me? The Egyptians killed their kids. The Egyptians had them make bricks in the hot sun. The Egyptians would not allow them to leave the captivity to worship God and to sacrifice unto the Lord for their sins. Crazy. They hated living in Egypt. It was oppressive and inhumane, and they couldn't wait to get out of Egypt, but now they can't wait to go back. Exodus 16, 2 and 3 says, In the desert the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out to this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. If ever a past was exaggerated, it's this one. I mean, they weren't sitting around with, you know, ribeye and tri-tip and smoked brisket and burnt ends and all-you-can-eat buffets. That's not what they had, but they make it sound that way. And now, in the desert, there's nothing for us to eat, and that's not true. We can exaggerate the past. Change is difficult when we overlook the good things of the present. We sang it this morning, let us become more aware of your presence, Holy Spirit. And it's easy for us to look for the absence of God in difficulties and not see his presence, but he's here. And I encourage you so much to focus on what is left and not what is lost. If you focus all your energy on what you've lost, you will not be able to focus on what is left or what is in front of you or who God has allowed for you to have a relationship with right now in front of you. See, God is caring for Israel. And instead of gratitude and thanksgiving, he gets complaints for lack of food. He provides them with bread from heaven called manna, and they've had it up to here with manna. Miraculously, they wake up every morning, and there it is. Now, you would think that they would never complain again. But Numbers eleven six 6 says, But now we have lost our appetite. We never want to see this manna again, because all we see is nothing but manna. Well, here's a challenge question for you today. Are you, are you guilty of overlooking the good things that God has for you in the present? You know, a place to live? A computer or a, or a phone or an iPad, you can actually watch this message right now and, and our worship service today and, and our tech team is bringing it to you. I mean, think about it. And, and by the way, our church and our community and, and our weather, we live on the central coast. Do, do you know that the minute people were allowed to get out of LA, they started filling up all the hotels in Santa Barbara because they wanted to get up this way. And people from Fresno and Bakersfield and some of the Central California region were coming over to Pismo 
and to Solvang and to Lompoc. Are you ready? They wanted to be in our region. Why? Because there's something great about our weather and about being here. And we have so many great and wonderful things to be thankful for, our family and our friends. And by the way, if you woke up this morning, your health. Thank God. And we can be guilty of saying, yeah, all this is pretty good, but, but if I had that and if I had them or if I was with her or with him, then I would be happy. Can I give you just a powerful word? When comparison begins, contentment ends. Where we start comparing. You know, we have these 10 commandments that the Lord gave us. And uh, thou shalt not lie. Eh, we, we, we do pretty good with that. Thou shalt not, you know, commit adultery. We, we, we can do okay with that. Thou shalt not commit murder. Okay. Thou shalt not steal. Okay. You know what the hardest one? Thou shalt not covet. And it seems like everywhere we go, we're still bombarded with images and imagery of more and more and what we should have and what we should drive and where we should live. It's like we want to stop and say, Holy, Holy Spirit, forgive us for selling you short and comparing our lives to others. Holy Spirit, help us to fully embrace the days we live in, the journey marked out for us. Keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, and help us run the race set before us. I heard about parents of 12 children. I mean, they had 12 kids. And they were asked this, if you could do it all over again, would you still have 12 kids? And they said, oh, yes, just not the same ones. Here's a, here's a lesson for us. If I can't be grateful for the good things I have in the present right now, I'll probably never be grateful in the future. Change is difficult when we fear the unknown future. When we can't trust God for the future. I, I want to give you a scripture today. It's, it's not in the notes and it's not even on our screen. But 2 Timothy 1.7, very familiar. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and power, and a sound mind. Of love, the love of God. Of power, the ability to walk through and get through whatever we're facing. Right? I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And a sound mind. Because what happens in the unknown, what, what, what happens in times like we're going through in our country, our mind can become skewed. We, we, we start thinking things that really aren't true. We start disbelieving what we know to be fact. And all the small things become large things. But we have to remember the children of Israel are complaining. It was God who sent the ten plagues that gained their release. He spared the lives of their oldest sons when the death angel passed over. He parted the Red Sea for them. He gave them water to drink from the rock and manna from heaven. He gave them a cloud that would guide them by day and a pillar that would, a fire that would drive them by night and guide them. And finally they come to the precipice of the promised land. And Moses sends out 12 spies. I'm sure you all remember this story. It's a reconnaissance mission to check out their future. Forty days later, they return with a report. Two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, say, this is a land flowing with milk and honey. The positive. We, we, we see the challenge, but man, we can take these guys. This will go well because God is on our side. What a great message. But the ten 
spies come back and say, oh no. Numbers 13, 31, and 33. The men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And we seem like grasshoppers in their own eyes. And we look the same to them. And they were paralyzed with fear. Here's, here's what I know. I've learned this after 41 years of being a leader. Here's, here's what I know. That fear is contagious. And that naysayers have a kind of a, a special ability to lobby other naysayers and gather them around. So it kind of becomes like this moving group of unhealthiness. And pretty soon those naysayers become really loud and people start hearing them. And whatever's broken inside of us resonates with what's broken inside of them. And pretty soon this, this contagion starts to infect all of us. Naysayers can create a negative atmosphere in an entire workplace, a school, a business, a family, a church, a city, a county, a state, a country. Numbers 14, 1-3 says, That night all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites, catch this, grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in the desert. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Now, now watch where they go. Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. God didn't say that. No one has prophesied that, but yet this is what they say. They start thinking things that aren't there, and they start believing things that will not come to pass. Worry has a way of doing that. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? Now, how many spies went out and were negative? Ten. And these ten had the power to change the voice and the heart of millions. It's easy to resist change. Change will stress you out when you glamorize the past, when you overlook the good things in the present, and when you fear the future. So how can we positively navigate all the changes that we're going through? And believe me, I'm just like you. I'm, I'm going through changes just like you are. But I'm trying my best to heighten my trust and my faith in the Lord and learn to do this. Number one, live with a heart of gratitude. See, gratitude is thankful before the gift is given. Gratitude is thankful about the season ahead, even when you don't know what it holds, but you know that God's lived in our tomorrows already. He's already been there. The Apostle Paul was so keen in the story of the Israelites and Moses' leadership and the wandering of the Jews that he writes in 1 Corinthians 10, 6 and 10. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. So this whole story of Israel, this whole story of Moses, the whole story of the grumbling Israelites is to teach us a lesson that we don't turn our hearts to evil as they did and do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel and I've taken that word grumble and capitalized it on purpose. No, I'm not yelling at you. <laughs> grumble. It's easy to grumble. Even the word grumble sounds like grumble. 
Grumble, grumble, grumble. It was a waste of time and energy, and it's counter to a thankful heart and a heart of worship. You cannot truly worship God if your heart's filled with grumbling and complaining. It's like we need to purge our system of that and then enter into the presence of God to receive his peace. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, you know this so well. Give thanks in all circumstances. doesn't say because of all circumstances, but in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. What's God's will for your life? I'll tell you what it is. Worship the Lord. It's to be thankful in all things. And the Israelites missed out on so much joy in their lives because no matter what gifts they had, they chose to live with ungrateful hearts. And the second thing is to stand firm on the rock. On the rock. Now, it may sound like an old church statement. Stand on the rock, you know. On Christ the solid rock I stand. Stand on the rock. (laughs) But 1 Corinthians 10.4, Paul actually uses this term. He says, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Wow. So, So Paul takes what he knows about Jesus and brings it all the way back to the Israelites in the wilderness and says, look, they had the ability to stand on the rock. And who was with them the whole time? Jesus on the rock, the rock. It reminds me of Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Remember the fiery furnace? And they heat this thing up and, and, and the, the Bible says that they weren't burned and not a hair of their head was singed. They didn't even smell like smoke. And after they had put them into this fiery furnace, the Bible records that, that, that the guards there looked in and didn't see just three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but we saw a fourth, and it appeared to be the Son of God. And many believe that was a type of Christ in the Old Testament, much like the rock that brought forth water. Jesus Christ was the rock itself, and we know that Jesus is called the living water. But that they were with Christ as the rock in their lives. See, one of the defining moments in Israel happens when Moses goes up Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments. And he's gone longer than anybody anticipated. And they start looking at their sundials saying, how come he's been gone so long? They start to wonder. And no doubt the naysayers start to grumble. And so they get bored, they get afraid, and they take their jewelry, they take all their gold artifacts, and they melt it all down, and they make this golden calf, a caricature of a god, not a caricature of God, but of a god. And they start to worship. This just boggles my mind. They start to worship an object that can't speak to them and an object that they created. You see, God's eternal and was never created, and he created us. And so what we tend to do is create things that we can then worship. And Moses comes down from that mountain, and he smashes the stone tablets, and he sees what's going on, and it rises all the wounds in his heart. I mean, he's ticked off, he's angry, and he dramatically smashes the tablets before their eyes, And then he grinds up the golden, this is bizarre, he grinds up the golden calf into powder and puts some of it in their water and makes them drink it. In other words, hey, 
Is this what you want to do? Go digest your God. Well, Exodus 32, 25 and 26, Moses saw that the people were running wild and that Aaron had let them get out of control. And so he became a laughingstock to their enemies. And he stood at the entrance to the camp and he said, and here's the challenge, whoever is for the Lord, come to me. Whoever is for the Lord. What's Moses doing here? He's calling people back to God. Now, I think in the season ahead of us, we need to all be people who call people to God for the first time, who share our faith with people so they can know the joy of the Lord and the peace that's available through Christ. And we who know Christ need to call people that we know that have walked away from God I know some in our own church, I know some outside this church who have just said, you know, I've had enough. (laughs) I've had enough God right now. He's not doing what I want him to do. We've been going through this COVID, this quarantine, this economical stuff. We've got protests in the land. I mean, it's just crazy. And people are saying, I'm out. God, I I I still believe you're there, but my relationship, I'm out. I'm out with you. You know, when uh, churches went online, I mean, the spike in attendance nationally was so high. Uh, even for us, I mean, four, five, six, seven times our normal attendance, we had those numbers online crazy. In the last few weeks, surveys show that everybody is down. I mean, it just, people are tired of, of watching online. So if you're watching, and you've actually made it to this far in the service, yay, thank you. I applaud your efforts. Wait a minute, you fell asleep? Well, wake up. Wake up. I have a couple more things to say, then we'll be done. But all of that to say this, that people need to be called back to the place in the Lord. I mean, some 3,000 years ago, Moses raises up his voice and says, are you on the Lord's side? I will stand on the rock, stay on the rock, because I now realize he's the only thing that I can ultimately trust now and forever, because everything else is shifting sand. Maybe now's the time to say, God, you made me. Through Christ Jesus, you've saved me. You provided for my needs. You've even led me. And now, God, I make my stand to be on your side. Make your decision to follow the Lord. Make your decision to, to grow in Him. And some of you, on the flip side of the negative, have grown in your faith. Many of you come to Christ, even watching church online. Go figure. Many of you are reading your Bibles and your scripture observation, application, prayer. You're doing your, your daily journaling and you're growing in your faith. I had a gentleman just text me this week and say, Pastor, you'll never realize how much the Bible has changed my life. I'm reading it every single morning before I go back to work. And it's changing me from the inside out. I mean, yay, that's what we want. And God is there for you. He's there as we call upon him. He's there for us. And the third thing is we have to live, live by faith, by faith, by trust. Forty years in the wilderness go by for the Israelites because for the first time the Israelites spied out the promised land They didn't have the faith to enter and navigate this great change in their lives. Forty years later, 40 years later, 
Once again, they come to the ends of the promised land, and once again, it's a big moment. Finally, it arrives. Will they live by faith? (laughs) You know what? All the first group, all the first group has died. They died out there in the wilderness, except the two who had the faith the first time. I mean, they're old guys now. They're no longer allowed to drive their cars. They're so old. But Joshua and Caleb now are able to enter with a brand new generation, the promised land. No complainers. Just those who say, God, we will enter. We will defeat those giants. We will handle all the obstacles. And how did they navigate this change? Well, Hebrews 11.30 says, By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. You see, when you're navigating change, you have to live by faith because there's going to be obstacles, some that you, you can't see over, some you can't see under, and some you certainly can't see through, and we're going to have to go through them with the faith that we have in the rock. Faith says, I'll trust you, God. Faith says, I'll trust you as my rock, God. Faith says, I will walk with you, God. Faith says, I will not be afraid. Faith says, like Moses, like Joshua, like Caleb, I will walk through the season of change with faith in my heart. I will focus on Christ, the author, the finisher of my faith, and I will run my race. So Lord, we pray today that you'll help us as we approach new chapters in our lives, in our businesses, in our schools, in our church, in our world. I pray that you would help us go through the seasons of change with a sense of gratitude. God, I, like many this morning, need to confess to the times we gripe, we complain, we we miss out on all the good things that you're doing in in our midst. Help us to learn to give thanks in all circumstances, to be grateful, not just someday, but right now, for every good and perfect gift comes from you. And God, may each of us stand on the rock, solid, immovable, unchangeable, the rock of Jesus Christ, when all around us seems to be uncertain, unknown, and ever-shifting. God, may your word, may your grace fill us. And Lord, I know there are some who've drifted from you. I, I pray that they will return to you, that they'll call upon your name because you are standing there with arms of grace to receive them, and mercy to touch their heart. Boy, if you're far from God today, I just encourage you to come to him and stand on the rock. Don't just go through religious motions, but have a deep, abiding relationship with the Lord like never before. And some of you have not given your life to Christ, and, and in recent days, some of you have. But today would be a great day for you to decide to follow Jesus, to say, Lord, I, I believe you died. I believe you rose again. I invite you into my heart. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. I will follow after you. I will obey your ways. And if a recent day you've done that, or maybe today, we we would encourage you to text Decide Jesus to 555-888. Decide Jesus to 555-888. And when the response comes to you, 
You can ask for a yes packet. We'll send it your way. But maybe you have questions about the Lord. Maybe you're not fully giving your life to Christ. Maybe you're fully not persuaded or deciding to come to Jesus. Would you just write that? When we respond to you, just, just, just write back and say, I'm confused or I need some help. And we would love to be able to answer your questions. If you want a phone call, we'll do that. If you want somebody to email you, if you want to be more private, however we can help you in your journey of faith, that's what we want to do. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please visit us at mylfc.com for more information about our church. Thank you so much for listening.